Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 36 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the sacred and the profane, Jonah Birch. <laughs> Jonah, on this very pod about a month ago, you swore that you wanted the Boston Red Sox no, to miss the playoffs, yep. and even if they made it to the World Series, you weren't having it. And now I want to know, with your team three wins away from the World Series, are you sticking to your guns, or are you back on the bandwagon? Let me tell you this. You know, hypocrisy is the lowest charge that, you know, you can level against someone. And my hypocrisy uh, should should go uncommented on. Yes, I'm back on the bandwagon, obviously. <laughs> obviously, that's true. Uh, I, You know, at this Good. point in my life, baseball is a, uh, a distant, distant fourth, probably, among my lists of sports fourth. that I... I Follow, but as you said, quoting Emil Durkheim, great sociologist, you know, a baseball game is a, it's a, it's a, it's a temple. It's a place for a collective effervescence, whereby we are f- reaffirm our commitment to uh, society. In this case, the society of Boston, and our uh, adherence to the um, collective consciousness. So yes, I am back on the bandwagon, uh, and um, you know, this is a, it's a sacred space. Once again, it was the most academic about face I have ever seen in my life. But I hope that by dropping a little fucking jargon, no one would no one would know. Right. Notice <laughs> I'm utterly full of shit. Hey. Speaking of utterly full of shit, we have a whole pod for you today. Um, today's episode is exclusively an NBA season preview. Uh, tomorrow night, the season gets underway when Brooklyn visits Milwaukee and Golden State visits the Lakers. Then the real season resumes Wednesday night. At 7.30, when the Celtics visit Madison Square Garden and possibly other teams play as well. But um, So today is all about the NBA, it's all about the upcoming season, and we are very honored and fortunate to have a special guest for that episode. Today's guest writes about the NBA at Premium Hoops, and he covers both the Pacers and Cavaliers at Indie Cornrows and Fear the Sword. He also provides basketball multimedia analysis at his... Okay, I like to call it Patreon. My partner insists that it's Patreon, because it sounds like patron. But I think Patreon is much more musical. So I will say Patreon, because I think I should. Um, He provides basketball multimedia analysis at patreon.com slash Mark Schindler. Mark brings insight and open-mindedness to the NBA, which is a welcome change from the intolerance and wrongheadedness often found in his food takes. Welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show, Green Grape Hating Mark Schindler. Mark, how are you today? I'm uh, I'm really good. And as far as however you say Patreon or Patreon, whatever gets you to subscribe, I will say it that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I am seeking full time employment still because I just graduated college in May. So we're uh, you know hey, what can do right now. Yes, I appreciate it. Uh, good. Uh, you know, with graduating college comes the crippling email from uh, from your great the Great Lakes Borrowing Service that my uh, my student yeah. loan has to start being paid next month. Uh, so you know, just the, the great foreshadowing on on what adult life is going to be like. Um, but I'm really psyched to be on. I, I I thoroughly enjoy listening to you and Jonah on here. Um, you guys have had some great guests, so it's kind of awesome to to follow in the footsteps. Um, uh, I'm really psyched to be on. It's awesome to have you here, and if you can trust anyone to look out for your future as far as loans, I trust it's Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. That Listen, will take care you know of what I tell you, my so students no is 
is just get used to a lifetime of debt. If you think you're going to buy a house or anything like that, give up on that dream immediately. It's never going to happen, you know? Oh, I also, I I think I forfeited that as soon as I went to journalism school. I was like, oh, you know what? (laughs) Well, what a mistake, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love doing it. So it works out well enough, anyways, I guess. Mm -hmm. Much respect. I respect that. Yeah. Um, So we'll talk about some teams and some players today, Mark. Um, And unfortunately, by the law of the land, and Jonah Birch hates this law more than anyone. We have to begin by talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. We have to. Um, the Lakers obviously coming off a very disappointing first-round exit against the Suns. They had injury troubles late in the year. Decided in the offseason to go all in on, a, a, I guess, a big three, you could certainly say, um, with the production that Russell Westbrook is still putting up. Um, generally, I'm seeing Brooklyn favored to win the East and the Lakers favored to win the West. What do you think about the Westbrook edition, and where do you think the Lakers, assuming they're healthy going into the playoffs, stand this year versus the last couple of years? Yeah, so I would categorize myself as a Lakers curious slash Lakers optimistic. Um, <laughs> I I want to uh, to have a, a better idea and depiction of what they'll be, um, but I, they're the one team I really think I just have to see on court before I know what I'm going to really feel about them. Um, on surface, I do think that while it is easy to you know kind of uh, balk at the Russell Westbrook trade, I mean, I think just because this is who I am, I, I often have a, a recurring issue where I start talking about somebody's 11th man before I talk about the most important player on the team. <laughs> but like as soon as the, the, the Russ trade went through and I was like, they traded Contavious Caldwell Pope, like, well, based on just just being honest, like looking at the Lakers the last three years, everything's been founded on their defense. Um, or I should say two years because the we don't we don't talk about the first year. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Contavious Caldwell Pope's been they're extremely important for what they're doing defensively the last couple of years. They had the best defense in the NBA last year, even with AD and LeBron missing a, a huge chunk of time. Kyle Kuzma factored in with that. Montrez Harrell, not as much, but he still had a pretty productive year with the Lakers last year. Um, but what I look at is a lot of what's been an issue for the Lakers has been whenever LeBron sits, their offense just goes down the toilet. And I think, um, well, I do have real questions about, you know, clutch time, uh, how they close together um, and what this looks like in the playoffs. I think you can squint and say, okay, well, you're going to stagger LeBron and Russ, and that's going to be a good thing because you're going to have positive on-court play uh, offensively when, when LeBron is off the court and trust that your defensive shell is enough um, with him off of it as well to to be a, an encore positive because that just has been such a huge issue for them. Um, I mean, we've seen so many times throughout the last two years when the Lakers cough up a sizable lead because LeBron or, or AD sit, um, or normally it's when LeBron's is, but, you know, granted with both. Um, it has gotten off to a precarious start, though. I mean, they have just such an odd roster construction. I like some of the guys that they brought in. Um, like, I, I like Malik Monk a lot. I like Taylor Horton Tucker, but he's out with injury now. Uh, it seems like that's going to be for a decent clip, like probably a good part of the first month with a finger injury. Trevor Ariza, even though this is, I think, year 17 for Trevor Ariza, he's still wildly important to the team. Um, and he's going to miss, I think it was around eight weeks, it was reported. Um, like that's their, their their depth in the front court is just not what, what you want it to be. They have a lot of small wings and combo guards 
and uh, just not a lot in the way of, uh, of front court depth. So I, uh, Al Farouk Aminu just got cut by the Spurs. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets signed by the Lakers. But um, I just, just a lot of questions overall. I'm less concerned about I, about the shooting. I know the shooting's been brought up. Mm-hmm. I think I look at this more in terms of the shooting has been solid the last couple of years, but they've lacked a lot of secondary creation off of LeBron. So, you know, there's a lot of drive and dish, and then the possession just kind of dies or they have to reset or it goes into isolation. Now I think, okay, well, when Taylor Horton Tucker's back, I see him attacking off the second side. I see like, hopefully, you know, um, the other big question is can Russ buy in and be more of that guy who's doing uh, secondary actions and, and, and cutting uh, a lot more, maybe he's screening like the, you know, the, the screening numbers that, that haven't really been there have been brought up quite a bit recently. Um, and then, you know, that opens up a lot of questions about the defense too, but um that's all to say there are a lot of ways this could go. I, I, I lean a lot more positive, um, but I don't think that they're by any stretch the a lock for me to, to come out of the West. So the 0-6 preseason, which has caused the cause of so much panic in, uh, you know, Hollywood, is not, not something that is a major source of concern for you, I take it. Not really. Yeah. Like Russ, LeBron, and AD didn't really even play that much. Yeah. Um, they didn't really take it. I mean, I'll be completely honest. I haven't watched a great deal of preseason basketball because I'm trying to conserve my uh, my energy headed into the year. Um, <laughs> like I've watched all the Pacers and Cavs games, but uh, and, and caught like clips of, of guys on like individual possessions and whatnot. But um, I try and take not like very little from pre- preseason to be honest. Like sure. you're going to see some stuff getting installed, but I feel like a lot of teams just go kind of vanilla, and it's more of a conditioning thing in some ways. Like. It's you're you're feeling out who's going to be you know, all right out of the thirteen through through twenty guys on the on on the end of the bench who's going to be in the last couple of spots as we're seeing guys get cut today and finishing out rosters. Um, so I'm just not really as worried about it because we know that the Lakers are here to do things in the postseason and they have LeBron and Anthony Davis. So I just don't really care about knowing six preseason is as unfair as it sounds. I try not to buy into the Lakers exceptionalism too much, but um, that, that definitely is a part of it for sure. Let me ask you um, one last question about the Lakers. And it has to do, you mentioned Westbrook and secondary stuff. And there's a question I'm curious about maybe more for the playoffs, but also in the regular season, just as someone who likes to read numbers and think about people's careers and legacies. Russell Westbrook has played over his career with a half a dozen like, Hall of Fame players. He's played with Durant. He's played with Paul George. He's played with Carmelo Anthony. He's played with Chris Paul. He's played with James Harden. He's played with with all different kinds of amazing great players. And what's astonishing to me, Bradley Beal, for all the volatility and energy and and like and and accusations of um, you know how will Westbrook adjust to this person or that person. The numbers are astonishingly consistent. Like, he is always putting up. He's going to score 20-plus. He's going to get 10 rebounds. He's going to get 10 assists. Now he comes to a Laker team where there is a player in LeBron James who does everything Russell does better. Um, And James does not... You don't tend to have a statistical blooming alongside LeBron James. Like, you're trying to fit in, and Anthony Davis is there also... In the playoffs especially, and, and I don't think anybody can know until we see matchups and health, I don't know how to how to plug Westbrook's variable into like the overall equation, but I like the thought in the regular season of, you know what, LeBron can get some breathers and they, they won't crater because Westbrook is there. 
do you think Westbrook is so Westbrook that he's still going to put up basically close to what we've seen from him? Or do you think this might finally be the occasion where, look, this is so unlike anything else you've been with before that we might see lower production, but maybe higher efficiency. You talk about screens and cuts and things that Westbrook hasn't had to do before because he hasn't really ever had to defer. When he went to Houston, his usage did not go down any. Um, do you think this is, okay, Russ, like you're going to adjust, or do you think the Lakers don't want that, that they want Russ be you for 80 games because that's what we need, and we'll figure it out when the playoffs come? Yeah, I. that's something I've tried to, to really conceptualize and think through because I, I – I mean, I don't ha- I don't have a great answer for that, honestly. Um, I think what it's come down to for me is uh, if the Lakers acquired Russ with the idea of we can fix him like a like a early 2000s rom-com, I think that's the wrong idea of trading for Russell Westbrook. Like, I mean, he's 33 this year. I think expecting someone who, you know, as much as people like to dog Russ for his play style and the way things have gone in, in his career – um, I think it goes way too far. Like he's a really damn good player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer first ballot, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I just don't think it's it, it. It would be very unprecedented to see somebody just go from a nine-time All Star doing exactly what he's done in his career to just like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like that's just really difficult to break. But you, you can also say, well, okay, well, LeBron is like the one guy who might change that. Like, um, but again, I'm not entirely sure how to view it. I I think. I would go more with the latter and them thinking, you know, we'll figure it out as time goes on because ultimately I, I would have questions if they were going the other way. So there's two more teams in the West in particular um, that I'm interested in. And the first one, also, again, we may not know what they're actually looking like till the postseason, but the Denver Nuggets the last couple seasons have been very close, knocking on the door, Sadly for them last year, they lost Jamal Murray to the, I think it was an ACL injury, but positively for them, Michael Porter Jr. got a taste of a larger role and seemed to show that, like, he can do some things. Um, He can be, like, a big-time player. Do you think if Denver is able to get Murray back by the playoffs, to have Aaron Gordon now under a contract for a while, Jokic is Jokic, do you think Denver has enough to get out of the West this year, or do you think some of the issues that have come up for them in the past, whether it's depth or whether it's um, just the West is so good that maybe Denver is is not not quite enough to get through. Um, I think Denver's in that upper crust tier for me. Like I have just just putting it out there, it's Lakers, Jazz, Phoenix, Denver for me are all at the top with uh, teams that I could see getting out of the West because it feels very wide open. Um, a lot's just going to hinge on what does this team do without Jamal Murray in the lineup um, because they're going to have to go a decent stretch. I think he's going to be back around uh, January, if I remember correctly, um, from what I last saw. Um, So it's leaning a lot into Will Barton this year. Is he going to be healthy? Can he take a little bit more of an on-ball load? I think Bones Highland, who was their rookie that they drafted, is really going to factor in this year as well based on preseason, things that have come out of training camp there, the way Michael Malone's talked about him, and just the way that he's played, frankly, he's been awesome. Um, I think Monte Morris is going to take a big, big shouldering as well. Uh, like you mentioned, I mean, Nicole Jokic is the best player in the NBA last year, as far as I'm concerned. Like, if you win MVP, and I thought he was rightfully MVP, he was the best player. Um, you know, I uh, it's really tough because I think you're banking on a couple of guys growing as well. Like you mentioned with Porter, like I, 
I, I guess we can just kind of expect him to to continue some of that leap and shot making he took last year because I I don't think that was a ceiling for him. Um, but to me, it's more like, okay, well, what do they get out of P.J. Dozier? What do they get out of, um, like, does Zeke Najee take any kind of leap this year? I don't expect that personally. I think P.J. Dozier definitely, yes. But um, like you mentioned, a, a lot got brought up about how they lost to the Suns. And I would just point out, okay, well, they're starting Facundo Campazzo. Um, and playing Marcus yes. Howard like 15 minutes a game because they were so depleted and, and were just lacking um, anything on the wings and, and, and at the guard spot. So uh, health is just going to be so big for them this year. Uh, and I, I do think that if they have things really hit right at the beginning of the year, they could get out to an early stretch and um, definitely would be interesting to see what it looks like when, when Jamal comes back because they were playing – I mean, I thought – um, before Jamal's injury last year, I think they played eight games together after the Aaron Gordon trade, and they looked like the best team in the NBA uh, mm -hmm. by a decent margin. Uh, so I, you obviously want to see that happen again, but you don't know what it's going to look like with Jamal coming back. Um, but I still think this team is incredibly deep, incredibly talented. Um, and, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily bank on them being the one seed, but I also don't – I wouldn't rule it out either. <laughs> There's one team in the West, I don't even have a build-up to the question because they are so variable, I don't even know what to say, and that's Dallas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a feel on Dallas? Do you have a ceiling and a floor for what you think this team could be? I think a lot of it falls on – there's a lot of things. I, I do think whatever happens with Porzingis could go a long way to determining, like, you know, does Jason Kidd know how to work him out in a way that Rick Carlisle didn't, or is he just – because of the injuries and, and stuff, just not really the fit that they thought he was. But where do you see Dallas? I've, I've heard people say Dallas can win the West. I've heard people say Dallas could be in the playing tournament. Do you see that range is similar? What do you make of this team? Uh, I don't really buy Dallas as winning the West. Like maybe in, if things really go right in the playoffs, for sure. But um, like we've seen how good Luka is and he's taking a step every year. And I think um, it's fair to say maybe he'll take another lead this year. Um, a lot of people have been down on Dallas because of losing Rick Carlisle, but I just think given too with that, you got to take it more from a human element as well. Like as much as I do not uh, really like or respect Jason Kidd, and I think that for, for very fair and understandable reasons, um, like it's just very clear that that Rick Carlisle was was done in Dallas. Like the the locker room was not there with him. He and Luka Doncic pretty clearly did not get along based on reporting. Um, yeah. You know, Chris Stapps Porzingis has like smiled for like the first time in a year. So um, I, I, you know, a lot of people also clowned like a lot of stuff came out with uh, at training camp. Jason Kidd talked about being less of a three point centric team. And uh, some people kind of saw that and were like, you know what, of course, you know, this is what he's coming up with. And as much as again, like I, I don't really particularly think Jason Kidd is a great coach or anything, but I do think there is credence to that. Um, a lot of their offense has just been all right. Luca Cook be heliocentric. Uh, I think he, he led the league in usage last year. I think he was a 37% usage last year in the regular season. Um, that just can't happen again. Like it, it looks nice in the regular season, but then as soon as things bog down in the playoffs and you're just asking him to do the same thing time and time again, a, it's really hard on your team because like, like we've seen with Chris Stapps, like as good of as solid as of a shooter as he is like, if you're just asking people to continually spot up and do nothing, like that's not exciting as a player. Like you don't want to just be in the corner. Um, there are very few people who have the, uh, the, 
the want to do that like PJ Tucker. Like I think that's that's one of the things that the very random aside, but like we don't talk about that enough with PJ Tucker. Like everyone talks about his defense and um like to me what's one of the more exemplary things or, or kind of outlier things about him is like his willingness to just be a spot up shooter. Um you have to find other ways to get guys integrated. So I do think there's a chance like Dallas could uh could be a well I I mean not just a chance. I think Dallas will be better this year. Um, but again, I don't really see finals. Like I think though there, I see them more as being like a five or six seed if things really shake out for them because they didn't solve the problems. I think that they needed to, um, like Reggie Bullock is a nice signing. They got Tim Hardaway jr. Back. Um, but they really don't have anyone else who I trust to create shots on that team outside of Luca. Um, like unless they're banking on, you know, Chris Stapps takes a, takes another step as an offensive player, which I don't know if I see that happening. Um, or, you know, they think Jalen Brunson is taking another step. Like, I, again, you're asking a lot out of guys who we just haven't quite seen it from yet. Um, but I do think they're still going to be very good. And as we've seen in the playoffs already, I I do not want to have to play against Luka Doncic for a seven-game series. Yes. Sid, Mark, let, let me tell you what all Knicks-adjacent media people just want you to say is that they won the – Porzingis trade. That is what everyone wants you to it. say. I'm not going to say it. It's not. You know, they, 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 <laughs> everyone wants you to admit that. The Knicks Let me, be, well, let right me be fair here. Let me be fair here just for a second. Most of us already know the Knicks won the trade, so we don't need <laughs> affirmation. Okay. Uh-huh. Some of us wrote about it that very day. Happy to send out the link. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Jonah. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I'm with you, Mark. Tell, tell him. Tell him the truth. It's not clear. Well, you know. I think it's more. Uh, <laughs> To be fair, I wasn't like fully invested in in the NBA at this point when it happened, but like it's not like I don't really think any team quote unquote wins trades. Like it just kind of goes either way. And sometimes it shifts more into the balance of one. Like I mean, do the Knicks really win that trade because of having to endure that entire amount of time under Phil Jackson? Like, no. I I mean, the way that things shook out, I think it's been really good for them. But um, I also think too, like I'm definitely a little bit more of a believer in Chris Tapps Porzingis this coming year. Cause if you go back just two years ago, I mean, he was fantastic defensively um, and was a big reason for, for why they were, were good. I think if he's even remotely close to that level of mobility again, this year, they're taking another step defensively. Um, also, I, I, I mean, I, I just hedge everything that I say, cause I don't like having very, no, no, I was one way say, or another. <laughs> like yeah. someone who's going to end up with his own ESPN podcast, you know, <laughs> teams don't really yeah. win trade, well, know? also I'm just followed by too many guys from the Strickland to say anything positive about, uh, non <laughs> so it's a, it, it's a, it's a dangerous road that I tread. Yeah. Hey, all right. Sorry. Let me, let me ask you about two other. Uh, Western Conference teams who I think they're incredible, you know, variation in terms of potential outcomes. And that is Portland and Golden State. And, I, you know, convince me, for example, that people are not wildly overstating Golden State's, you know, prospects for uh, a top playoff spot, because I see people predicting, you know, that this team is a real contender in the West. And, after two years out, the idea that Clay Thompson is going to be going to be Clay Thompson again, which is, I think, what that would require at minimum, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems a bit far fetched to me. But I, you know, but maybe I'm underestimating them, and maybe I'm underestimating what what Portland can be this year. Another team that I think people might be overestimating a bit. Yeah. So let's start with Golden State. Um, 
with Golden State, I think I'm definitely high on them. Like I, I don't, I don't really think that they're a team that's going to get the one seed. Like I think that if things really go right, like okay, so let's say Clay comes back and he's, you know, mostly what he was. Like he, he hasn't lost a ton of mobility. We know the shooting is going to be there. The defense is, you know, still really, really damn good from him. Uh, if he's that, then I think they could be. You know they'll be a top four seed if that happens, and he he comes back in in a timelyish manner. I think again he was a guy who's looking more like around January. Um, but I think the bigger questions for me are looking around the rest of their team. Like, okay, how good does Otto Porter look? Because if you're like, I, I think a lot of you know, I understand hyping up Otto Porter. I like Otto Porter. Um, He's a solid player when he's healthy, but that's the problem. It's just since he's been traded from Washington, I think he's played less than 50% of his games. Like when he's healthy, when he's on court, when he's in shape, he's a good player. Last year, he looked like a shell of himself. Uh, he was still able to can threes, and that's going to be nice for Golden State. But also, I just if he doesn't have the same mobility that he wants it, I don't really trust him as much defensively um, and what he'll provide. Uh, so, I mean, that's another thing you're looking at. Is Nemanja Bielisa going to be anything? Uh, the, the Heat traded for him, hoping that he would be there for that they were missing all of last year, and he played, like, less than 100 minutes in a Miami jersey after the trade deadline. Um, so, again, you're, you're asking, like, okay, this is going to look very, vastly different. I'm not sure. Um, and then it gets, it gets more interesting. Like, I think Steph Curry is, is fantastic. We know who Steph is. We know what he does. I think you can you can buy in on Jordan Poole taking a leap this year. He plays very similarly to, this, to Steph, and I, I love what he does in that offense. Um, I'm just interested to see how they're able to infuse some of the, the youth on the team with the guys who are already established. Like, okay, when James Wiseman comes back, are they able to actually find ways to put him on court in a positive light? Because part of the issue for me last year, I hated the way that the, the Warriors – kind of threw James Wiseman under the bus uh, because they frankly did, as far as I'm concerned. Same thing with Kelly Oubre. Um, less about being thrown under the bus for him, but more they did not try and factor in the way that they can play at all. Like, okay, well, they, they looked at Kelly Oubre and they said, all right, play the exact way that we've been playing for the last five years. Well, Kelly Oubre cannot do that. He's not that kind of player. He's one of the worst passers at his position in the NBA, but he does have utility and do things that are positive on court. I think it was more on on Steve Kerr and Golden State for not factoring him in and finding ways to actually make it work. And I feel the same with Wiseman. Like, um, no, he was not going to have an awesome impact as a rookie for the most part. Like, very few rookies do. But they did they did him no favor no favors by making him try and make some of the decisions they put him in and uh, leaning into him as much as they did. And I think you know how do you make that work? How do you make things work with Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga? Because I think to round out their rotation. They're going to need one of those guys to really pop this year, uh, at least to some degree. Um, I mean, things are more figured out now, I guess you could say, with Andrew Wiggins. Uh, that was a whole debacle that was really exciting to, to deal with. Um, not, uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think this team is good. I just don't really know that I see them as being uh, a true title contender right now. But I mean, we've seen what happens when Steph goes off in the playoffs. Um, so they're kind of like a puncher's chance team to me. It's like if you throw uh, – um, I'm trying to think of like 90s heavyweight contenders right now, but I I, my, my, I need Bo. to rack my brain. I was going to say Riddick <laughs> Bowe, but Riddick Bowe is like almost too good because Riddick Bowe, like wasn't he lineal champion for a little bit? 
or he was, was close to it. Yeah, it was so close. like um, somebody like nearby that I I got to brush up on my '90s heavyweights. But point being, like they they're definitely good enough to, to win series. Yeah. But it's just things have to really hit on the margins for them, and I would kind of like to see them make a move as well um, to maybe shore things up because they they're going to need it, in my opinion. Would you say and what Portland about Portland? Is another team, yeah, Portland punchers chance. I love Portland, man. Uh, I I can't stand the old Shea, but I do love Portland. Um, it's kind of funny because every single year I tell myself I'm not going to fall in love with with these marginal moves that Neil O'Shea did instead of just trading CJ McCollum. Um, I think this was the year where I really think like I, I've understood keeping CJ for the most part the last couple of years. This year, it really felt to me like they had to move on. They didn't. But then they actually made really good moves. Like they uh, they brought in Larry Nance Jr., who I think uh, is one of the more underrated, unheralded players in the league. Uh, if he'd been healthy last year, like he had a pretty significant injury that made him miss a, a decent chunk of time. Uh, he would have been all defense for me otherwise. Um, and he has a lot of utility on offense. So he's a really good role man. Um, he's been a, become a better shooter year by year over the last three years since getting to Cleveland. Uh, has become at least passable on that, and, and he'll take shots. Um, and, yeah, just defensively, he's fantastic. I love the idea of what he can do with them. Um, I really like that. I don't – selling low on Derrick Jones Jr. kind of sucked. That was more about last year than anything else, but that's just more like, you know, they they had to do a lot to cover their mistakes. Uh, they they brought back Norman Powell. That small lineup they ran with, with Norman Powell, CJ, and Dame with Nurk and Rocco was like – I think they were like around plus 15 last year, points per 100 uh, when they played together. Smaller sample size, but like it was good. And I, I I'm, I mean, they couldn't really afford to just let Norman Powell walk because they would have lost that money. I like Cody Zeller a lot. Like he's another guy, him and Larry Nance Jr. I think are both going to surprise people this year. If Cody Zeller is healthy, he is a uh, like a, a neutral player to me, like slightly above average center. He was a big reason for why the Hornets were good for stretches last year. Um, you know, and when I say big reason, like a decent chunk, like obviously Lamelo Ball was most important player on that team. Gordon Hayward is better, but like, um, you know, if it wasn't Cody Zeller, you had Bismack Biombo playing, and that was just a, that's a massive downgrade. So I, I liked that they were able to snag Cody, and I think he's like I, I was going through this the other day, and he's the best backup center that I think Damian Lillard's ever played with. The next closest would be like Ed Davis three or four years ago, and then you're going back to like. 32 or 33 year old Chris Kamen in, in his, in his rookie year when Dame's there. So I just feel like this is one of the deeper teams that they've had, which um, isn't exactly perfect. Like you're hoping, okay, is Nas little going to hit a little bit more? I think he will this year. Um, Cause I, I really buy him as an NBA player and he's taken strides the last couple of seasons. Um, again, I don't feel perfect about them, but I think they're a team who, if things really click for them, they're, they're going to be more active defensively and they're changing things up quite a bit under Chauncey Billups. Um, a lot more is it going to be okay. Is Dame going to be a better defender this year? Because as much as we like to shit on Trey Young's defense the last couple of years, like Damian Lewis has been that bad. Like it has been ugly the last couple of seasons and it needs to be better, frankly. Like I don't think CJ McCollum is a bad defender. I think he's fine. He's more like C minus to average for me. I think they can be solid defensively while also being really good offensively. And lastly, too, I didn't even hit on Yusuf Nurkic. Like him being healthy and in shape is so, so important for this team because we saw last year 
the second that they had to, you know, play games or stretches without Nurk, they were just kind of toast. Uh, and that was a big reason for why I was excited that they brought in Cody Zeller, but also I think they, they don't want to need insurance because they need Yusuf Nurkic to be like that sub all-star type center that he's been capable of being. Um, but it's just, is that happening this year? Uh, and I think it will based on things that have come out. I know it was a really long rambling answer. I've thought about Portland a lot this offseason, um, but I'm, I'm really interested to watch them play. Let's switch to the East now. And as we do, I just want to warn you, Mark, that you have probably just alienated most of Celtic Twitter by not mentioning Enos Cantor in your list of great <laughs> Portland backup centers. Well, no. he is uh, he is not on that list for me. No matter, <laughs> yeah, he's okay. Let, he's, he's a fine third big. He is a fine third big. He was asked to, to play way too much in Portland last year, and pairing him and Carmelo Anthony together was just yeesh. Oh God, been there. Yeah. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Celtics Twitter has a, a completely accurate and objective understanding of its players. And everyone knows that Ennis Cantor, what, whatever motivated the team to sign him again, it was definitely not his, uh, <laughs> well, certainly not his pick and roll defense or anything he does defensively. And if, if he ends up playing big minutes for the Celtics this year, they're in big, big trouble. Everyone recognizes that. If Cantor gets an offensive rebound one foot from the basket, he's as good as it gets. I just want you to know that is his skill level. Great hands, they say. He has great hands. Yeah. Okay, Mark, two Eastern teams. Uh, I want to ask you about one is right up your wheelhouse, which is the Pacers. New coach this year in Rick Carlisle. I'm sure you've seen them in the the preseason so far. Um, I'm curious about the – as always, you know, the outsiders always ask about the Turner Sabonis fit. Has, is Carlisle doing anything differently with those two? Does he need to? Because for all the outside angst about you can't have those two together, they're both good players. They do different things. Maybe you can have them together. Um, what have you? What is the talk around the Pacers so far in terms of what's different about the team and their feelings going um, into the season after a, a disappointing season last year? Yeah. Um... It's a good question. So I think I, as much as I have uh, watched the team and, and soaked in everything from them, uh, I don't really have an awesome grasp on how this year is going to go for them. Uh, it's been a really rough start already uh, with Karis LeVert is going to miss at least the first four games. He might miss more with a stress fracture in his back. TJ Warren is getting reevaluated in, I think, two and a half weeks uh, on his foot, um, but he's going to miss at least that. Uh, and and that's without you know getting back on court and doing anything in that two and a half weeks, um, and he's a significant part of the team and, and what they're trying to do. In terms of how Turner and Sabonis are being utilized, it it's been different, but not really in a good way. Um, and I again, it's hard because you don't know what to take from preseason. Uh, like Caitlin Cooper, our our mutual friend and who, who writes over mm-hmm. at Indie Corners, the best. So um, she wrote an article about. Um, and, and detailed a lot of this. So if people are you know more interested in it, they could definitely go read that. But, um, you know, wrote about how Tomas Monos is being put in the corner more. And it was a lot of herky-jerky stuff that's less about involving both centers and more about amplifying one. And then at times it really doesn't feel like the benefit for the other. Um, so that was weird. Uh, and I think in some ways I looked at it, okay, maybe they're just trying to see, you know, does this stuff – work so we can start workshopping it for the regular season i don't know um i mean both guys have looked very good miles has, has done some really good stuff off the balance his, his handles gotten even tighter 
Um, I mean, he, he really became a, a positive or at least neutral offensive player last year after really struggling with that um, and his feel for the game overall for most of his career. Like that really came for him last year. You can see it still this year. Um, he wants he, he's been vocal about wanting to be a bigger part of the offense. Um, I'm not sure how or where that's coming from because there's just so many players on this team who are capable of doing things offensively. So a lot of it is just like, you know, how does this all fit together? I don't know. You you can see like it, it almost feels like the Pacers roster is kind of like, you know, you have like three puzzles mixed together and you just can't quite make all the pieces fit, if that makes sense. At least that's how it feels in some ways. Um, like they're talented. I just am not sure what to what to think about them. One of the weirdest developments has been like they try to do sort of a plug and play motion system. So it's been a lot of you know, everybody trying to do the same thing or like giving, you know, everybody's playing similar roles and it just, it feels like not very good. Like you don't want to, every time Tory Craig runs a pick and roll, I just kind of like a small part of me is just like, ah, why, <laughs> you know, why is this happening? Um, like just a lot of stuff like that. that that's a, a good microcosm to, to explain what the Pacers preseason looked like. I will say though, the defense was way better. Like, yeah. But that's also not a high bar because the defense was absolute dog shit last year. Um, they finished, I believe, 14th or 13th in defense, and I have no idea how. Um, mm. They were terrible. Like, they just – they they blitzed every ball screen with Demonis Sabonis, put him in absolutely terrible positions, asked Miles Turner to block and deter every everything at the rim. And, he, I mean, he's so good that it, it worked in some spurts, but it was just, yeah, not great. So this team feels like they're on a, a, a road to being competent this year on both ends, but at the same time, like, okay, well, they need to be a little bit better than competent, uh, just given where they're at. But uh, there's a lot there that I think I'm going to be working to unpack throughout the first, you know, 10 or so games. The vibes must be much better, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the – Yeah, much not, better. Not having a coach who, who bans do rags really helps. Um, that <laughs> happened last year, that was reported yeah, last year. By the I Star. never heard yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nate Yorker banned do rags on road trips, uh, which you know that's uh, it's a little questionable. Um, yeah, so I think just based on everything that's come out, the guys are, are happier, they feel more comfortable with what they're doing because you could tell, um, about 15 or 20 games in, like. You know, they're like, why, why are we doing this stuff? Like a lot of the stuff they were doing was just it was it was nonsense. And you could tell once it hit a certain point um, this year, it just feels like they know, OK, this is a different year. We have a real coaching staff, like not to be unfair to last year's coaching staff. Like those are all credible, qualified people. Um, but like this year, OK, like you have like, I think, two or three former head coaches on the staff. You have multiple people who've worked in the league for 10 or 15 years. Like it is a good staff and they uh, they've really seemed to have clicked with the guys so far, which is is great. You know, we'll see how that goes throughout the season, but um, a really, really uh, a lot better of a start so far. But again, you know, it's like compared to last year. Well, yes, last year was like the worst year in, since Paul George got injured. So it's not really, you know, boosting us up a lot here. The Chicago Bulls, Mark. I love the, the Chicago Bulls. I shouldn't say so you're that. You're one of those. Like okay, you're one of those. Yeah, I shouldn't have said Tell that again why. because you know there's a lot of Strickland people who are gonna hear me probably. Uh, and I <laughs> uh, let me say, I I love the Knicks. I absolutely love the Knicks. This is not meant as a Knicks versus Bulls argument. I just like the Bulls. Okay, um, with the Bulls, I think this was 
I, I don't know. To me, and I, I don't mean to sound like elitist or anything, but I do think in some ways we have overthought the Bulls. Like so much is brought about like, oh, well, they don't have room protection. Like, ah, oh, the defense, ah, oh, this. Like, I don't care. Like, it, it, that sounds so rude, but like this is re the regular season. I do have real questions about what they can do in the playoffs. And, and I think that's fair. Like, I, 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 but I'm not trying to think about that yet. We have the regular season. We'll see how it goes. I look at this in terms of Billy Donovan is a very good defensive coach. He's great at utilizing systems that are built around his team to make them a good defense. I'm not expecting the Bulls to be a top 10 defense in the league, but I also think saying that they're just automatically going to be some bottom 10 defense in the league is kind of unfair and, and a little bit lacking in nuance. Like you can just watch it. I watched quite a few of their preseason games. They're doing a lot of stuff, icing ball screens in the corner so that like Nicole Vucevic is a lot better um, Nicole Vucevic is a lot better moving laterally than backpedaling. So like they're doing a lot mm -hmm. of stuff to keep the ball in front of him, not make him have to back up because he's not great at playing and drop. So it's easier for him if they do that and force force actions to be isolated and not keeping things wide open. Lonzo Ball's been fantastic in that. Uh, Alex Caruso's looked really damn good at the point of attack. Zach Levine is much closer to a neutral defender than a bad defender. Um, that's really changed over the last year. Uh, I just like I do have real questions about the Marvin Rosen, but his off-ball defense has looked better in preseason. The on-ball defense, not at all. Like the on-ball defense looks absolutely atrocious for him. But I just think like I look at this stuff. Yes, you can look at the starting lineup and say I have questions, but I also think you have to say, okay, well they have a roster full of pretty versatile guys. Patrick Williams is back already, uh, which was not expected. Mm -hmm. He was I thought he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was originally projected to miss like a month to a month and a half. Um, and he played against the Grizzlies, I think, last night or two nights ago. Um, Nikola Vucevic is a lot closer to an average. Like, again, same thing with him. Like, he's not a great defensive center, but he's good at being big and in the way. And that matters in the regular season. If you can you can scheme things to just have him contest or just get his arms up, like, he's he doesn't really get vertical. But, again, big in the way that, that helps with contesting things, helps with making it harder. Um, I just think that they're going to have enough uh, talent mixed with scheme to make the defense fine. But then I look at the offense and I think the offense is going to be dynamic, electric. Like, I, I mean, I think pretty easily a top 10 offense to me. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is the best passer um, that Zach Levine's ever played with, other than probably Ricky Rubio, like his, his rookie year, or sophomore year. But point being, like, DeMar is the best driver that he's played with, best individual scorer that he's played with. Like, just looking at it, like, top down, there's a lot of talent on this roster, and I trust that they're going to be good enough to fit together, especially because Zach Levine is such a good off-ball player. Like, I just – I see I see them being able to stagger. And, again, a lot of it's more conceptual, but I just think, uh, you know, a lot of the, ah, but the defense has been, like, I don't I don't know. I, I just – I think that there's got to be more than that. And I understand, like, my range for them would be more, like, I think they could go as high as the four seed, but if they're in the play-in, that wouldn't surprise me either. You know, like – um, it's a lot more about ranges than like exact seating to me, but I believe in the Bulls and I think they're going to be a good team this year. Playoffs, I, I don't know. I think they're, you know, they could win a first round series if they get home court, but, um, you know, we'll see. Again, we never know what's going to happen during the regular season or, or how things are going to shake out, what trades are going to be made. So we'll see with that. And even there, you, you have to walk before you can run. The fact that we're talking about the Chicago Bulls and for the first time in probably 10 years, discussing the playoffs as a realistic goal already shows you like they're taking improvement the Knicks last year had a great regular season 
not a good playoffs, but like they had to take that step. And I think like you're saying, the fact that maybe the Bulls get home court, maybe the Bulls can win, that's enough. And it's also enough, particularly when the biggest thing for your organization is, are you going to be able to re-sign your best player? you got to give him something that shows we can do this. That's something that could do this. If they, the Knicks last year got to the playoffs, Julius Randle signed for less than he could have because he saw new regime, we're making progress, I want to be a part of it. I don't think Levine's doing that, but if that gets Levine to stay, that's his biggest step toward them continuing to build as anything um, that they could do for their future. So I think you're right in, in saying, yeah, like I, I do think there's they have reason to be optimistic, regardless of where it takes them. They have reason to feel like they're going somewhere. Yeah, most definitely. But look, there's a there's a, a big difference between saying that they're going to compete for a play-in spot and saying they're going to be a top four seed in a competitive East, right? I mean, that's a again, that's a huge variation, right? And I, I see people out there predicting. I was just gonna I was gonna say, and it was only sort of a joke. Like I was talking to my students today before my sociology class that I taught about the NBA season, and some of them are from Chicago, and they were telling me that the the Bulls are going to be a top three seed in the East, and I kicked them all out of class because I said you've learned nothing about how to think. But oh, there there there's a level of I I don't want to there's a level of delusion. What seems to me like delusion about what this team is going to be. That unless there is a catastrophe for a number of other teams in the East, the idea that they are going to re- repeat what the Knicks did last year, for example, it, it seems to me that's a that would be a that's a strong prediction. Wrong? I mean, you know, they got to be really good. Lonzo needs to be really good. Uh, you know, I, De- Demar Derozan needs to not be declining at all, and and yeah, Billy Donovan better put together one hell of a defensive scheme if that's what we're talking about if we're talking about this being a, a top seed in the east right i mean uh, you know where am i wrong or is the the east weaker than i think and or the bulls are better than i think i don't think that you're you're wrong necessarily i think i would just say that there's more um there's so much uh parody is the wrong way to put it um like i think milwaukee and uh milwaukee and and brooklyn are clear-cut favorites in the east this is the deepest east in my lifetime uh, mm-hmm. Like just going back and looking back through, like you know, we've had all those times through throughout LeBron's career when he was in the East. Like there would be one or two teams that rise up, and that's really it. Like uh, I think this this time around, and part of that is by having the virtue of the plan, but also just the talent in the league. Um, like I think looking up and down, like twelve teams in the East are all trying to make the, the playoffs this year, uh, and you know, obviously one or one or two of them will miss it outright. Uh, two of them won't get to the plan, but um, I just look at it in terms of uh, there's a lot of variance with it, too, because we never know how injuries are going to factor out. Like, let's say, OK, if Trey Young gets hurt for the for the Hawks, like I would say like the Hawks are a surprise, like a team that I wouldn't be shocked if they end up taking the two seed this year. But OK, if Trey Young misses significant time or, um, you know, they have like just multiple injuries, which, I, again, you, stuff you never want to have happen, but it, it's stuff that does happen. Um, then, yeah, that team could fall to like five or six. And then that's an opportunity where like, okay, if things really do work out for Chicago and things are clicking and they're healthy, then yeah, maybe they do take the four seed. Like there are ways that it could go, um, you know, with Philadelphia, I have no idea what to make of them because what is going to happen with Ben Simmons? Like he obviously is back in practice today. I, I don't know how many games he'll actually play for them. Is he, what do they get back when he does get traded? 
I don't think that they're a better team than last year by any stretch of the imag imagination by losing Ben Simmons. Um, so how does that shake out? Like, there's just a lot of variance and questions that go into it. Um, and I look at, I mean, to me, the the Bulls and Knicks are are actually as much as that's been like the main character on Twitter the last couple of days and them going at each other. Like, I think the Bulls and Knicks are very similar to me in terms of they both have talent, um, but the the variation is there. Like, it, it's just harder when you don't have a quote unquote, like if you don't like, and, and this is not meant as disparaging to the stars on either team, but like if you don't have like a top five guy in the NBA, it is very hard to just will yourself to a, a playoff series in the regular season. Like if Julius Randle misses a lot of time this year, okay, the Knicks could be in the play-in. Like that that happens. Same thing with the Bulls. Like if Zach Levine misses a lot of time, okay, Bulls might be in the play-in. Like that stuff happens. But also, okay, if things work out another way, then you might be higher at. Um, but also, can we can we talk about the Knicks for a little bit? I know you didn't have the Knicks on your docket. I feel like I have to just the we, we barely discussed them on this pod. So if you would like to be the <laughs> one to, I'm very barely, happy yeah. to change that up finally. Yes, let's talk Knicks for once. Okay, so I do have to say, I don't think. I mean, it's unlikely to me that they finish with the same seating as last year. But also, this team is a lot better. But like again, the biggest thing mm -hmm. is just the entire East is better. Um, I haven't understood why some people are so down on them coming into this year. I don't think last year was a fluke in any way, shape, or form. I don't think you can look at that team and say, oh, this is a fluke. No, they were extremely well coached. They game planned extremely well, and it hit. I don't want to hear about what the three-point percentage was and the three-point shooting luck. I don't want to hear about it. I know it factored in, but it just got hammered in so much over the offseason that I'm sick of it. R.J. Barrett's going to be better. This is year three for him. Um, I actually – very random thing. I just literally tweeted yesterday that I'm excited to watch year three RJ Barrett and Gary Vaynerchuk freaking replied to it. Um, I, I was very random and out of the blue, um, but I saw that. I saw that someone was, was like, so wild, you know, man. it's yeah. not just it. He doesn't play alone. You know, yeah. you, you were like, yeah, he's there and the whole team. And you were yeah, like, yeah, exactly. the whole team. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like just looking at the Knicks in general, like again, RJ is getting better. I, I one of the other talking points has been like, oh, well, Kemba Walker on defense. I'm like, okay, you could not tell me that you watched the Knicks last year and thought that Alfred Payton was a positive on defense. Um, there were moments where he was okay at the point of attack, but he was lost off the ball. His screen navigation was absolutely terrible. Kemba Walker is a good defender at five foot ten. Like it's hard because, yes, on balance, like his impact is going to be negative, most likely, but he is he works his ass off to be in the right place. Yes. And we saw that, as you would know, Jonah, with the Celtics, like they, they were so good, especially when Al was there, scram switching him out of the post. Uh, yep. And most importantly, he was good at, at calling that stuff out. He's a very good communicator. He makes sure that he's in the right spot and communicates things. And he's, he tries his best to impact. That is more than Alfred Payton was doing defensively last year while being way better on offense. However many games you get of him, that's just such a boon compared to where you were at last year. Um, I don't think Julius Randle is just taking some giant step back like – Maybe the shooting splits decrease a little bit, but that guy was real to me. Like all those changes were things that I just wasn't sure I was ever going to see from Julius Randle in the NBA. And I believe in him as a player. Like they did things that, well, I don't think you necessarily want to build your team off of Julius Randle's gravity. They did things that alleviate things for him while adding real talent around him. Like we didn't even mention Evan Fournier. Like I just think this team is going to be a lot better. Um, I Again, I don't think they're going to be a four seed, but I also like if they end up not even having to go through the plan, like that shouldn't be surprising. Like I think this team could easily be the five or six seed. And right now I would bet on them being better than Indiana personally. 
Um, like I just, I right, love. Let me this ask machine. you a question: Are you about to ask Matthew to borrow money or something? Because you <laughs> could not no, have done uh, a better job yeah. buttering him up. You know, well, after <laughs> truth, the truth is truth. We brought Mark on to be truthful. <laughs> That's all he's done. Well, okay, wait. The last thing I do have to say about the Knicks, though. Um, I am a little bit worried about Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I really am hopeful. I like him. He, he grew last year. He got better. I hate when people do dirty balks in all walks of life, but especially basketball because it just makes no sense to me. I would like to punish whoever his trainer is. Um, but Taj Gibson is just <laughs> awesome, man. Taj Gibson is going to be a positive impact player until I'm 45. So, like, uh, <laughs> just an, an exclusive member of Goggle Gang who just the gift that keeps on giving Taj Gibson. Uh, he's going to be good this year. I love watching. You got to love the local New York connects, right? I mean, between yep. Kemba and Taj Gibson and, you know, these local guys, right? I mean, everyone in New York loves that shit, really eats it up. Tib- I would Tibbs say. is from Connecticut. You know, it's a very local love team. Um, I think I agree with Mark that I think the Knicks can be better. I don't think you can underestimate, even if Kemba Walker is 50% of what he was, it's going to, I I really got tired of the anti-Alfred Payton. Like, it just got really yeah. ugly. Yeah, and but you and I strictly, talked about that too. Strictly, yeah, strictly in terms of on the court. And you could see his confidence was shattered, like, by the end of the year. But strictly on the court, like, he was not helpful on either end. I know he has a reputation as a great defender, and Thibodeau would always justify his playing by saying, He's big and he allows us to switch and like not get hurt. Um, but I, th- I think that was the team rallying around a player, which I understand and, and they should. But Alfred Payton, you know, he wasn't even in the rotation by the end of the playoffs. I think the Knicks could be better, get a lower seed, but because of the combination of continuity, they kept almost everybody from last year. And you saw in the Atlanta series, like when Randall couldn't create, they had nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Reggie Bullock, great shooter. Cannot do anything off the dribble. Fournier, very good off pick and roll. He can create. Same thing with Kemba. So I can see the Knicks being like the sixth seed, playing the three-seeded Hawks again, but having a much more competitive series just because there's better balance there than there was last yeah. year. Um, I want to ask you, Mark, do you have time for one or two more questions? Yeah, for sure, man. All right, cool. Um, I know J- Jonah's going to jump out of his skin if we don't ask you about the 76ers. My 76er question specifically, you say whatever you want to about them. My question about them is, if Ben Simmons had like a, a road to Damascus epiphany and decided, oh my God, I'm staying here. I love it here. I really do feel this is best for me. Does it matter? Like, is, if, was, would a committed, fully engaged Ben Simmons change Philadelphia's ceiling or outcome from where they've been the last couple of years? Because for all the like, you know, concerns about last year, this is a team that was very close a couple of years ago to the conference finals. Um, if that team got to the finals, like maybe they win it all. Does it matter? How much does Simmons, if he stayed, would it matter? And if he doesn't, is there a type of player, not necessarily a specific like McCollum, but is there a type of thing the Sixers should look for? Or is it just, he's got to go? Uh, wow. That's, that's like eight um, questions. So just no, no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> like, I think, I'm just surprised that he even came back. Um, I'm partially like, I, I, I do think uh, people have been a little bit critical. I mean, I, I do think it's important to be critical because it, it is these guys' jobs at the end of the day, but also like a lot of this just comes back on the Sixers, in my opinion. Like I just, I cannot stand the way that Doc Rivers has handled this stuff. Like absolutely lied through his uh-huh. teeth at, at media day. Um, 
like seems like a great guy, but the way that he's handled that, like, no, uh, I appreciate Joel's candor and, and his candidness in general, but like, um, I just think you look at this, this is very clearly a severed relationship to me. Like this is like, I, I just don't see it being a good idea for him to come back and play. I get like the idea, like, oh, well, he can come back and show his on-court value again. And, you know, teams will, some team's going to be five games under what they hope to be or expect to be, and they'll be more willing to make a trade. But I mean, just given how everything's gone, like I, I mean, I can't imagine how awkward that is in that locker room, like, <laughs> especially too. like, I mean, I thought I liked the moves that the Sixers made this off season with the idea of like, Ben's going to be there. Um, like you add in George Niang is like a it, it very niche, small name, but like the kind of guy that they missed mm-hmm. the last couple of years, they needed a four who could stretch the floor and not get murdered defensively. Mm-hmm. I love Andre Drummond as a backup for them because Dwight just was not that great last year, especially in the playoffs. And I mean, you know, have whatever qualms you do about Andre Drummond. Like he's going to be good as an innings eater, beating the shit out of second tier centers in the NBA. Like that's, that's, that's what you pay guys to do as a backup. Um, like I think it's great because Joel Embiid was his kryptonite and now he doesn't have to deal with that. Exactly. You know? Like yeah. never again does he have to face Joel Embiid. So there you go. Yeah. And that's a plus. No, exactly. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just say if he were to quote unquote stay, like I do, like if, if they just have last year's team with the additions that they've made um, and the subtractions too to get there, like I think that they're, you know, like probably I would have them in that same tier as uh, probably with Atlanta. Like I wouldn't have them quite with Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn, but they would be like maybe in between Atlanta and those those two teams um, because they're, they're damn good. Like the biggest thing to me is just Joel. Like Joel was in, fantastic last year on both ends. Like so, so good. Um, especially in the playoffs too. Like he had an, that, that just seems to get glossed over with everything. Like his playoffs were fantastic. He was playing on, on one leg for half of it and was amazing. But that's part of why this is so frustrating because Joel Embiid doesn't like, I, I don't want to feed too much into the, well, what if he get, gets injured this or that? Like what's his real shelf life? Like you do not get MVP seasons like that from a guy just all the time. Like I do, I think in some ways we've almost been spoiled by LeBron, at least in my generation, because people just expect that. Like LeBron's put out an MVP caliber season almost every year of his career since year three or four. And I think some people just expect that. Most guys, like they're lucky if they do it once. And I, I think Joel is the caliber of player who could do it multiple times, but like you saw how much that took out of him last year to be yeah. that player on both ends. Um, and I just hate that Philly is squandering that in any way, shape or form. And that's why I'm kind of sick of them waiting around. Like, I think they've, they've done this to themselves in some ways by with everything coming to a head with Ben Uh and by not making a trade and making things possible, like the dragging it into the regular season just doesn't feel good to me. Like if there is any awkwardness or timidness or it just doesn't go right. Um, I, I mean, maybe you think that that sinks you three or four games or something. It doesn't sound massive, but like it's enough where, okay, well, what if you drop another, you, you drop a spot and you end up not having home court advantage or something, or you, uh, instead of having the continuity with the team or, or growing with the team that you've assembled in the off season, you're, you're waiting until you hit your final form like midway through. And that just doesn't seem to work out for the majority of the teams to try to do that. Um, but I'm really interested to see how it plays out because I, I would like to see Joel Embiid have success because he's just one of the most incredibly talented players in the NBA right now. There is it offends one... me. 
Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Oh, that they're wasting his prime. Uh, honestly, I mean, he's not getting any younger. You know, as he approaches thirty, it's just players with that injury history and that size, and you know, some of those physical issues. It's just not going to last forever. And some of the stuff they've done over the last couple of years, whether it was the Al Horford signing, which it was totally predictable. I, I thought the roster construction problems with that team. And now, you know, they're the self-sabotage going into this year around Ben Simmons. I mean, can't you just shut the fuck up about Ben Doc, shut up. Like, honestly, yeah. I, I don't know what he was doing. It felt like he was trying to protect himself after that series last year by throwing Ben Simmons under the bus a little bit, as if people did, weren't, you know, didn't already think Ben Simmons was the problem. But it was like, oh, can you win with Ben Simmons? I don't know. That's not what you do. I mean, that's not how you handle that situation. So now it's like just what you said. Like, I, he's back at practice. I'm imagining curb your enthusiasm levels of awkwardness right now. I mean, really, <laughs> you know, like Larry David and, and you know, in a relationship. And it, where do you go from here? I mean, is there any trade value left for Ben Simmons? What, like, it's just a... It, it it you know it sucks because you're you know there's so much pressure on Joel Embiid, and uh, it it you know you do worry uh, and even I you know you don't have to love the Sixers a talent like that should not be wasted you know it shouldn't be wasted like this uh, you know and that's the concern. It's uh it's tough too because not to just play to Matthew again but I mean Joel and the way things have gone for him reminds me a lot of Patrick Ewing just in going back and 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 digesting Nick's history like that's. That's how it's felt so far. And I do not want him to, to, to end up being like Patrick 2.0 with how his career plays out. Like, Pat was awesome, obviously, but, like, he should have won a title. He should have gotten the opportunities to. Obviously, he did get opportunities, but, like, you know, those teams were not good enough to actually do it. But, um, yeah, it's it's, it's got to happen now. Like, point. this is more of a, an aside to say, like, we got to put more onus on how shitty ownership has been and, and decision-making in general, because this is less about Ben Simmons and a lot more about mm-hmm. um, the way that Philadelphia 76ers ownership is handling things. Like even just this summer, like they cut back wildly on spending. And like, you, you, there was this video that came out a couple of years ago with, um, you know, one of their, uh, I don't think it was a trainer. It was one of those, like their equipment staffer who they just cut just for like, no, for like very minimal reason, but like had like great relationships with a lot of the players mm-hmm. um, just for, for budget expenditure, like just stuff like that. Um, as per usual, you know, screw ownership, hate it. So <laughs> It's very, it's very hard to watch Doc Rivers, whatever his motivation was right after um, that game, throwing Simmons under the bus and remembering the Ubuntu Celtics and wondering what happened to, the, to all that togetherness, Doc? What happened to... What happened to Ubuntu? Oh, yeah. huh? So that whole team, people don't remember, it was built on a wonderful vacation to Italy during the preseason, and that you know clearly you need a European vacation if you want to if European. you want to build some roster togetherness. You know, yep. Mm-hmm. Obviously, on, the only Tom. title ever. Don't forget. You know, <laughs> very hurtful. Very hurtful. <laughs> it's not. You know, I'll be whole... honest. I love the 08 Celtics. It was one of my favorite teams I watched as a kid. But yeah. God, I cannot stand the way that they handle themselves sometimes. Okay, but so listen. The pettiness I, I, over Ray Allen. Ray Allen is like one of my favorite players ever. I have, I think I have three different Ray Allen jerseys because he's he's my guy. Like one of my yeah. favorite dudes ever. Just talk to him. Just talk to Ray Allen. Like it can't be that. <laughs> well, I agree with like, that. But let's just say that is not, that was not a one-sided issue. And Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. You for know, sure. and I would also say, look, those were guys who are all, 
So besides Rondo, who was the superstar, they were on the downside of their career. And they had these incredible battles. Like people don't remember uh, 2010 when they lost in game seven to the Lakers after Perk got hurt. They had finished fourth in the East that year. They had a mediocre season and then kind of all came together in the playoffs. It was this like, I, I don't know. It was a very emotional team, I guess, that had a lot of, a lot of, I, this is going to sound so corny, but yeah, they had a lot of pride, you know, and then the way they battled the heat and people make fun of them. But when they, they brought the heat to seven games in 2012, they were done. I mean, that was a team filled with 30 somethings, you know, so you you go through that and um, yeah, I mean, I you know it was all it, there was a lot of heart on that team and and that's kind of uh, that, that's the background I I would say to all this. I hear what you're saying. I agree the pettiness. I mean, KG is a petty guy, like he definitely is. But you know what? He's we we love that. We love that about him. Some of us. <laughs> Mark, you just have to remember that when your franchise in 35 years has only won one more championship. Oh than fuck the you! You know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Mark, we don't have all. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There's one last player. There's one player specifically, and I don't think I know his team is not at the top of most all-season discussions. But I bet you've had a chance to watch him play, and I have a little bit this preseason. I'm extremely excited about what he could mean for the league and his team. And that's Evan Mobley on the Cavaliers. And if if you've watched any of Cleveland's preseason. Um, as was predicted, Mobley's ability as a big man to step out on the perimeter and not just be competent against guards, but shut them down. Um, forgetting all his other skills, which are exciting too, but I know there was some angst about, well, why did they give Jared? You know, some people were like, why give Jared Culver this five year deal? I mean, sorry, not Jared Culver. That would have been weird. Why that give Jared Allen weird. this? <laughs> why give Jared Allen this five year deal? when you're drafting Evan Mobley. And I think, you know, if you remember the Cavs of the 80s, one thing that helped them really take off was they had two great young pairs at the same position in Mark Price and Kevin Johnson. And because of that, they were able to turn KJ into Larry Nance. And that really helped shape a team that, you know, Magic Johnson called the team of the 90s. It didn't happen for them, but that those Cleveland teams were incredible. When I look at the Cavs, I think Darius Garland is a very exciting, really exciting young player coming up. Sexton, I don't know if that works for them with Garland, but for now, okay, you've got, you know, a, a shooting guard who can score, fine. Um, Okoro, you know, at least defensively, I think there's a lot of excitement there. And in Cult in Allen and Mobley, you've got these bigs. Evan Mobley to me looks amazing. Like yeah. really looks like this could be more than anyone else on the franchise that they've had since LeBron left. Like this could be the person they've been waiting for. Have you had an opportunity to see much of Mobley this this preseason? And if so, um, do you have any feelings or thoughts about how he impacts Cleveland's future going forward? Yeah, so I um, it's a great question. I have seen all of Evan Mobley's preseason games, and I scouted him when he was at USC too. When I was doing draft work, um, I thought he was to me the clear cut number two, and I thought there were there was some case for number one for him in this draft class. Um, behind Kate Cunningham, like he is, he's special, man. I, I've been telling, because I live in Cleveland, I've been telling all my friends here who don't really follow the league as much, like, uh, I mean, Evan's going to be the best player on the Cavs in two years, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's with Darius. I mean, Darius might be an all-star this year. Uh, like he's been fantastic. He's taken a leap 
uh, even just his last year he did and is coming through again um, in what he's doing in preseason. But, like, I look at Mobley, like, watching him against the Pacers twice, he had some possessions against Demonis Sabonis that were absolutely fantastic. His rim protection uh, is, is unreal. Like, he's got defensive player of the year upside for sure. Um, and like you mentioned, his ability to stick on the perimeter, like there are multiple times, like, to be honest, the Cavs defense is not great right now. They're, they're they implemented a lot of new guys. They had games where they started Lowry marking at the three. And I hope to God, I never see that again, but I'm probably going to, um, but you know, like a, a lot of funkiness just gets kind of waxed over because Evan Mobley is capable of switching out onto a guard for possession. It's not something you want to see all the time, but like he has the ability to do it. He's bringing the ball up in transition. Uh, he's, you know, he's taking jumpers from outside. He's not necessarily knocking them down. That's something that'll come in, in time. But more importantly, too, like you see the passing from him. Like I think that's something that got really under uh, under noticed or, or wasn't highlighted as much coming out of the draft. Like, yeah, he's an awesome defensive prospect. But I mean, he could average five or six assists per game in a couple of years. Like he's got the handle. Um, and he's got really just such good feel for the game and sees things well. Like if somebody cuts baseline and he's in the, in the elbow, he sees it. Like they're already running sets to get him going like that. Um, the Cavs just have such a funky roster. Like it's hard to see how some of the stuff's going to work out. But most importantly, like Evan Mobley's starting and he's going to be damn good. Um, and just to hit on Jared Allen for a second, like I didn't mind the Jared Allen deal. A, because Jared Allen's really young mm -hmm. still. He's a starting caliber player with a little bit more upside still. Uh, it, to some people, it might be an overpay. To me, I don't. I don't really care. Like he's worth being paid like a starter. That's around starter money, so whatever. But my biggest thing is like Evan Mobley's not ready to start at the five. Like he's very, very clearly needs some strength um, and needs to work on it. But I also just don't think you want to start him at the five right away. Like I love that he's going to be forced out to play on the perimeter more on both ends. Um, like do more as a ball handler, do more as a passer, do more as a, a creator himself, and. Um, getting to figure things out. Okay, can you can you close out to the corner? Can you do more stuff roaming off the ball, and uh, and and taking on more perimeter-based assignments defensively? Um, so I like that he's going to get the opportunity to to not get beat up on you know playing the five full time and and really uh, experiment with his game. Um, he's going to be awesome, man. Like he's he's so good. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the talk around him prior to the draft was pretty disingenuous, just because he's he's a quiet person. Like he really does not like. Um, he's not super flashy or big on like amping himself up and not to talk down on people who are like, I, I just hate when we go at somebody who's like, like, Oh, he's not yelling on court. So he's not a killer or something like that. Like, yeah, no, yeah. he just doesn't, he's not like that. That's not how he's built, but he's going to, he's going to block you at the rim three times in a row and you're not going to score. So what does it matter if he's not yelling on court? Like he's just really damn good. And I, I can't wait to watch him grow. I'm psyched that I live this close and I actually get to experience it, man. Cause he's a, he's a special player. It did not hurt Patrick Ewing or Hakeem Olajuwon's development to spend their first few years as power forwards. Definitely I think not. We'll be okay as well. Cool. He's no, I actually got to bounce now. I got to take my dog. Yeah. Home, but I appreciate you guys having me on. This was great. Thank Mark, so that was too. awesome. That was yeah, so no, much fun, man. Me. I appreciate yeah, it. Sorry if I rambled great. a little bit. I get excited. No, you were great. Hello, Matthew. Maddie. You were the Ernie Banks of the show. You are the first two-time guest to wow. appear on the Jack of the Sport. We will send well, you. We'll have one of the interns send you a plaque. In nice. The well, am I officially friend of the show? Is that a? You're more than that. A friend of the show is a term we reserve for one-time people. Mm. You're what we call like a, a legacy member or like the dean, like dean of the show. 
Okay, so when I when I have kids, they'll be able to just get on the show, whether or not they're like really worthy of potting, but Absolutely. just by the legacy. I mean, to be fair, that just would make them fit in with most of our guests. But yes, they would enjoy um, legacy privileges. They can talk about what they want. You know, we won't edit them at all. They'll be all good. When, when you guys are still potting in 30 years. Hey, can we, we start by talking about Colin Powell? Yeah, I was going to say, we should really, you know, we should really talk about uh, Colin Powell because I just feel like people aren't, you know, giving him enough credit. They're just talking about the Iraq war. But, you know, Milai. He, he was a piece of shit for yeah, decades. No, he covered up Milai. He was big in Iran-Contra, uh, you know, uh, responsible for the uh, for the highway of death in Iraq. Like, his, his legacy is, uh, you know, I mean, RIP to a real one. Um, I, you know, I feel like uh, people who are, pro- you know, progressives are on the left who are, um, I don't know, um, I don't want to say apologizing, but let's say expressing sympathy for, uh, it's just, uh, it, it really disturbs me. I, I don't uh-huh. get it. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, honestly, I don't get it. There's nothing again. So I mean, that's all I wanted to say. <clears throat> I would just like people to, you know, really give him the full credit for his legacy, which uh, extends far beyond, uh, uh, you know, w- one bad speech at the UN. Is your hatred pure? That's my question to them. <laughs> you know, as Alexander Coburn asked. Anyway, I feel uh, like Maddie- remembering Colin Powell only for that speech is like remembering like one of JaVale McGee's funny plays, but like not recognizing <laughs> his whole career. Like that doesn't fit. That's not it. You're missing it. It's true. It's, like, know, it's, like when, it's like when you ask a player, like what's your favorite, you know, a, a multi-time champion, what's your favorite ring? Like what is, <laughs> what is my favorite Colin Powell war crime? My favorite war crime. <laughs> it's like, what would Colin Powell's appearance on Shacked in a Fool, you know, look like? <laughs> If if Shaq had any politics beyond Papa John's and the police, you know, then uh, then you know he could appear. Um, Colin, about just want to point out for those who have, yeah. if you have not seen the great Eddie Griffin film Undercover Brother, the Billy D. Williams character, a clear Colin Powell parody. Um, it's worth it your time, movie. and if you don't know the film, it's a he. Great movie. Yeah, it's it's worth it. If you if you it's want to actually learn about really Powell, I haven't seen it in years. It's a really funny movie. It's really funny. And the Colin Powell thing is Billy Williams is unmistakable. There's this five-star general who they think will be the first black man to run for president, and he gets co-opted by this like conservative race. It's so funny. It's so good. Um, yeah. I think we've given Colin Powell all the attention he deserves on today's pod. <laughs> Let's welcome. Our our guest Matthew Ehrlich, Doctor Matthew Ehrlich, straight. Ernie from... Banks of the show. I told him only the fir- the first person to appear twice on the Jacobin Sports Show. Yeah, from some of Boston's finest medical institutions, and he's here to share his thoughts on the Boston Celtics. Now, Maddie, the reason we brought you on is because you, as uh, you know, as a nattering nabob of negativity, as someone who Rick Pitino would have come on, uh, and he, if he was giving a press conference last year, he would have said, of you, all the negativity in this sound sucks. It sucks, and it stinks, and it sucks. Larry Bird is not walking through that door, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Robert, Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. 
Kevin McHale is not walking through that door. And if they do, let me tell you, they'll be old and gray. <laughs> he would have said that in response to you and all of your negativity. I feel like you are now the height of optimism about these Boston Celtics. And we want to know why. It's true. No, I I, uh, I think I can say safely I'm, I don't wear uh, just Celtics colored glasses all of the time. Unlike Jonah, um, who, you know, if uh, 10 out of 10 on like uh, kind of Celtics optimism was Tommy Heinsohn uh, comparing Greg Stiesma to Bill Russell in a uh, preseason game, Jonah is <laughs> yes, like happened. routinely a 9.5. Um, I'm, you know, I'm less drunk than Tommy Heidson, but only slightly. Yeah, you know? only slightly. Um, <laughs> give, give it 40 years. You'll get there. Um, you know, I mean, it's true. Last year I was very down on the team and I think frankly, correctly. So, um, they, I didn't like the vibes going into the year. I thought the pieces were a really bad fit. It seemed clear to me that, uh, Kemba was, kind of not really going to be able to contribute. Um, and, it, you know, it, it just seemed off. I obviously didn't know that they were going to be the hardest hit team in the league by COVID. But I think even accepting that, um, you know, they still would have been probably a five or six seed, uh, which was, I think, a pretty big drop off from the team they were the year before, which was the team that I think, bar barring some health issues, would have made it to uh, the finals from the East. Um, but I think there's a very different kind of vibe this year. Um, you know, I think the replacement of Brad Stevens, while I think he was a good coach, I, I, I think started to wear on the players a little bit. And I just like everything I'm hearing about Ime, uh, the kind of positive, uh, role I think he's going to have with uh, our superstars. Um, I think that's going to be great. And then I just think there's a, a much, they're a much deeper team this year. Uh, they've added, you know, some good vets who may not be like high ceiling, but their floor, their, their floor raisers, guys like Schroeder having Horford come back, who definitely still has some stuff in the tank. Um, even someone like Jason Richardson, who had a down year last year, but I think um, is a solid defensive player who at least brings a little bit of upside on the offensive side. But, you know, I think the big thing is that uh, there's kind of three areas that I, I think are high variance, but I'm pretty optimistic about. One is Robert Williams. Um who I think we should talk about. The other is what kind of contribution they're going to get from the young guys. And then the third part is just, I think as much as Tatum is acknowledged to be an all-star, I think people are really, really underrating uh, what his ceiling is. So uh, those are sort of the start, Yeah, let's start with number three because Matthew wrote a piece on this that ended in a way perfectly designed to piss off Celtics fans, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, no, Matt, that was a great piece, but a just awful ending. Just to, to be the to speculation. Be fair, you could say that about all my pieces. So, like, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. That's actually not bad. Uh, I just want to, before you it's very Knicks. I, I wanted to model it after last season with the Knicks. And just because the, the, the Jacobin emergency phone line is flashing crazily right now, we just want to point out because our Phoenix fan base 
and Golden State are going crazy. Matthew said Jason Richardson, but he meant Josh Richardson. If you think Jason Richardson oh, is yes, returning, right. he's very old. He's done. He will not be helping the Celtics this year. I know you're thinking his canter is old and washed, but I promise you oh. they're not signing Jason Richardson. It is Josh Richardson. Hey, any any Richardson. I'll take Quentin Richardson. <laughs> then, then we'd have to bring back Darius Miles. Though. You would. <laughs> um, um, yeah, let's talk about Tatum, who's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I think I think everyone acknowledges that Tatum is an all-star. Um, I mean, everyone, I think, would call him a top 20 player. I think most lists have him as top 15. But, you know, if I've been sort of thinking, like, there's a couple tiers of, like, stardom and superstardom. Like, you got your tier 1A guys who are, like, we're talking generational players every year, barring some sort of catastrophe to the team. They put you in at least moderate contention. They're in the MVP conversation every year. I think that's guys like right now, probably LeBron, Katie, Giannis, and Steph are probably the only guys I'd put in that category. You got your like tier one B guys who are like, you know, they can make a championship contender but maybe need a little bit more of the right pieces around them. It, it, the recipe's got to be a little bit more precise with those guys. And, you know, they're always in all NBA conversations, but, um, you know, only in MVP in their best years, right? So I'd say, you know, Kawhi maybe hovers between those two tiers, but um, I'd say is maybe a notch below the, the 1A. Then, you know, Harden, Jokic and Embiid probably put themselves in that category last year. I'd say probably uh, AD, though he's mm-hmm. kind of put him chosen to be a number two. So he's like a little bit of a weird case. Um, and then, you know, kind of tier two are the guys who like, you know, they act as number ones a lot of the time, but probably not quite enough to like make their team a true championship contender as like as the true number one maybe in a in a good year they'll make a run but like you know you don't really expect them to be the best player four series in a row like eventually they'll so that's someone like dame who again kind of on the edge maybe could maybe if you're being generous you could bump him into like tier 1b but sort of like the prototypes would be paul george cp3 butler kyrie you know, those guys, I think a lot of people would probably say, and if you just looked at kind of his numbers without a little bit more context, I think a lot of people would say Tatum is on the trajectory to be tier two, right? Which is good. Those players are fucking awesome. Um, but, you know, that, that, that limits your ceiling, right? Like a team ceiling, if your best player is a tier two. I would make the case that he's actually his trajectory is more like tier one B, you know, putting himself on the level of Kawhi, Harden, Jokic, Embiid. And the reason I would say that is I think, I mean, look, COVID has disrupted everyone. um, But I think it's been especially disruptive for Tatum. So at the end of the uh, 2020 to 21 season, he exploded after he was named an all-star, right? And post all-star break, 
he was clearly making, or sorry, this is the 1920 season. Mm -hmm. Um, He was making a post all-star leap where he was putting up uh, 29, eight and three on 48% shooting uh, from the field, 47% from three. Um, And then COVID stopped the season, right? Um, Then he comes back 2021, picks up right where he left off. Before he gets COVID, he put up 27, seven and four on 47, 44 and 85. Then he gets COVID, which, and he had a fairly bad COVID. Like he was on an inhaler for the rest of the season. Like it clearly affected him uh, in a you know significant way. And you, watching him, you could tell absolutely not the same player for a good two months. Then post All-Star break, he picks up clearly feeling much better. He's 28, eight and four on 48, 40 and 88. So basically you kind of take out that COVID chunk. He went post all-star break in 2020, putting about putting up about like 28, seven and four on 47, 43 and 82. So, you know, you could say, hey, I'm cherry picking and all good players have hot stretches. You know, Paul George had that stretch. What was it? Uh, the 18, 19 season where he was unconscious. Dame has had like a couple months where he puts up like, you know, 35 points a game or something. But I don't think I'm cherry picking here because I think like Tatum has shown in the last season and a half that when he's healthy, he is that guy, you know? And I think like if it weren't for just the weird freaky impact of COVID, you know, we people would be saying like, okay, this is a hot, like almost 30 point per game uh, score on crazy efficient shooting. And like, look, that is a guy who I'm not saying he's projecting to get onto the tier of like, you know, LeBron, Katie, Giannis, Steph. Like I would say right now, the only up and comer who's maybe projecting that is, is Luca. But I think he's projecting to get on that tier, like, you know, of the Kawhi Harden Jokic guys just below that. And look, I mean, if you have one of those guys that puts you in the conversation with the right supporting cast. And, you know, I, I think they have a, a chance to have that supporting cast this year too. Yeah, one of the numbers you didn't mention, um, which I think adds to what you're saying, I think he's still only 23 years old. That's so like to say, so. you know, like he, <laughs> so to say, like, he may not be at the Giannis level, like, right now, but a lot of the, I mean, it's rare, you know, LeBron is rare for a reason. Um, most all-NBA top-tier guys are not, a lot of them are not top-tier at that age. Um, you know, Giannis's numbers at the same age, 23, are not that different than what you're saying. Giannis at 23, 27 points. He's bigger, obviously, so they're not the same player, but... 27, 10, and 5. You know, not as good a shooter, obviously. Better defender, but not at, not inordinately better than what you might expect from... T- I've read that Tatum's playmaking seems to have improved, his ability to create, like, for other people. If he has that, with the shooting, with everything else he has going for him, why not? I mean, assuming they put the right people around him, why not maybe in a couple of years he could be, like, at that top level? Because he's so... He is so gifted offensively. He's so good. And the league is not... It's not the 90s. He doesn't need to be a lockdown defender. 
Most people are not. But he's... Tatum is actually a, a great defender. Uh, people yeah. underestimate his defense. They probably overestimate Jalen Brown's defense a little bit. Uh, Tatum yeah. as a defender is a, a, a pretty unique... I mean, there are definitely bigger fours that I, I think he can struggle against. You know, yeah. but overall, as a defender, he's actually excellent. We're talking... Uh, he could be a, on an all-NBA defensive team. I yeah, I mean, I'm also curious to see. I mean, he's clearly put on about 10, 15 pounds of muscle yeah. this year, oh, which, wow. I mean, number one, like, it, you know, in the preseason uh, games, like, he's he's clearly flashing some signs that he's trying to develop a post game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his moves are pretty clunky in the post. I think he's, he's probably, like, a couple seasons, you know, he's not going to just – turn into like what LeBron is currently in the post, but LeBron mm-hmm. took multiple seasons a long time, to yep. a, a true post player with like, you know, who's a complete post player now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's a couple times just in the preseason where to, to get to your point about his playmaking, um, yeah. they threw it, they threw doubles at him and immediately he pinged the ball to an open shooter in the corner or top mm-hmm. of the key and got a hockey assist. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's going to get, uh, like, you know, one or two extra assists at, out of that this year, um, just like feeding him the ball in the post. And I also think to the defensive point, I'm very curious to see how well he can kind of like size up his defense or start like moving up in, t- in terms of the, the size he defends with this kind of extra muscle that he's clearly got on board. Mm-hmm. Excellent, but I didn't know about the weight gain, and that's huge yeah. with him. He's he's listed at 210. If he's closer to 225, 230 with everything else he can do. Um, you mentioned the COVID before and how the Celtics were hit probably worse than anyone else last year in, in certainly far, the NBA. If you look at number of days lost, yeah, it wasn't close. Right. It seems sadly like that's starting to happen for them again. And I don't know what the status is for tomorrow night, but I know that two nights from now, I know Horford – might play tomorrow, but it's questionable. I mean, sorry, Wednesday. Horford just positive. Other Brown way around, also. I think. So I mean, Jalen, uh, Jalen, whose vaccination status we don't know. I, I mean, I suspect he's vaccinated, but you know, I think because of his role in the. Well, I thought he said he was. I thought he. He. he I. I don't think he's publicly like he says. You his know, family is like everyone. He says around his him. whole family is. I think. I think he's, I mean, not that I'm defending this. He, I think he's kind of speaking out of both sides because he's, you know, a, a, like one of the leaders in the union um, and wants to sort he's of stick He's clearly shooting to be president yeah. of the union. That's like, the want, yeah, speculation he, in Boston. And he wants to stick up for the players who are not down to get vaccinated, which I, I wish he wouldn't do that, but whatever. Right. That's right, uh, right. Um, I, I suspect he's vaccinated either way. They said he was asymptomatic. Um, and you know, as long as he clears quarantine, he would be available. Horford, at least my understanding of the timing, uh, of his, of when he started quarantine would not meet the 10 day guideline from CDC. So I think he's probably not going to be available, but it sounds like he's also asymptomatic. So, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, in terms of the long run, I'm not super worried um, that they're going to have like long-term effects of, uh, of COVID. I mean, you got to remember, like, I mean, last season, none of the players were vaccinated. So right. the likelihood that they would have like symptomatic COVID was, was much higher. Right. 
Is there any chance that Marcus Smart will get suspended again between now and opening night? <laughs> um, Just hoping. Just you hoping. know, I, I think to, to me that was a, a much ado about nothing. Um, I, I don't. Uh, um, I think I think Ime just kind of wants to establish his authority on the team and whatever. Marcus missed. Sounds like Marcus missed a uh, a flight. So, you know. Let me say. Let me just say this before before we go. I, I, you know, there's a lot that's up in the air. Like I'm nervous of, about Robert Williams' health and the future of his knees. I'm very optimistic about Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, I like and, you know, and Romeo Langford. Uh, but well, I good uh, thing we've got a knee smith for Robert Williams' knees, right? Hey. Oh, nice. There you go. Nice. I, I do think that people should watch out for the Tatum leap, and uh, and I, I agree he's going to end the year as a as a top five to ten player in this league. Yeah, that's mine. And you know, I think if two out of three of our young players pop, it makes our supporting cast, uh, which I, I'm optimistic about, it makes our supporting cast a really good supporting cast. Mm-hmm. All right, last question. Yes or no? Yes or no, Matt? Do you expect the Celtics to beat the Knicks on Wednesday? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> and we All will have right. you, when we have you on for the third time. We will see how that went. Um, yeah, bragging rights for uh, for my third time. All right, man. Take care, Matt. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Later. All right. Um, that's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank both of our guests today, Mark Schindler and Matthew Ehrlich. You can follow Mark on Twitter at mschindlernba. That's M-S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R-N-B-A. And also Matthew Ehrlich can be found at Matty Enigmatic, M-A-T-T-I-E-E-N-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. Jonah is at Jonah's B-1793, and I am at Miranda 613 Thank you for sitting through that alphabet soup. You can also follow the Jackman Sports Show on Twitter at Jackman Sports. Email us any of your thoughts, questions, or suggestions at jacobinsports at gmail.com. I want to tell the killer whale who sent us an email a couple weeks ago. We are going to get to your question. I promise it just hasn't fit with the last few episodes, but please don't take it personally. We will be getting to your question. Also want to point out Mark Schindler has a Patreon that you can and should subscribe to if you have the means to do so. He really is just an all-encompassing follower and uh, analyzer of the NBA. He does analytics. He does narrative. He can talk about any team, any player. He sometimes knows your team better than you do. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash Mark Schindler, again, Schindler with S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. Very worth it and a really good dude also. Um, our producer is the great new taste known as Connor Gillies. That's all for this episode. We will see you all next time. Take care, everybody.